0: Hi everyone, Um, my name is Ashlyn Baher, and about this time last year, I was anxiously waiting and preparing to make the biggest move I've ever made. Um, I moved to Chicago a year ago in September, and um, yeah, it was the biggest move I've ever made, the scariest thing I've ever done. But um, I'm here this morning just to share a little testimony of what God has done Through me up there and just for me Um, I really I recognized before I went to the city that I wasn't going there to bring God to my neighborhood Um, I recognized that God was already there and he has been working there far before you and I were even on this earth Um, so Going there. I knew I was going to serve But I had no idea what God had in store for me So I'm going to share a little story and it's one that um, Has been kind of hard for me to share But I think that it's selfish of me to not share it because it really gives all the glory to God. Um, So in January, um, January 31st exactly, I was walking home with my roommate and we saw some men turn the corner. And we are learning so much living in this side of the city. We know it's hard. We know it's dangerous. But we are fighting every stereotype that we can um, to just really be there, really immerse ourselves and love people. And once these men turned the corner, we knew something was wrong. Um, My roommate grabbed my arm and said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And I said, it's okay. We're just going to walk through this group of three men. And we, we did. We walked through them. We even smiled at them. And right as we passed them, one of them turned around. And we turned around, and there was a gun in our face. I don't tell this story because I need pity or I need praise at all. But because it was this instant that God completely changed and transformed me. They took everything we had, but they didn't didn't hurt us. They didn't use harsh language at all. And we were right by a pastor's house that we knew. So they took off running. They were young, like probably 17 years old. And we went to the pastor's house, and he actually got in his car and went to go look for them. Um, Didn't have any luck with that. But, um, yeah, so I remember from that time, uh, we eventually went home, and that was the moment I had to call my parents. I was dreading that moment. I had already texted them telling them, hey, cancel my credit card, cancel my debit card. So they knew something was out, but oh man, I knew this was going to be a hard conversation. So I went out to my back porch, and I called my mom. And she, of course, was like, what is going on? In tears, I told her what had just happened. And she told me, well, what, what, what's next? Do you come home? And it was that moment that I heard God saying, this is why you are here. And... So through that, that was obviously a really traumatic event, Um, but God has shown me a more clear picture of who he is because of that. I can now better relate to my neighbors, live in solidarity with them because of what happened. I was never angry about it, but instead, these three boys got got prayed over. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they went. Um, And I don't tell you the story to scare you out of the city at all, Um, but instead give glory to God because of this scripture right here, 1 Corinthians 15:55 through 58 Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is, is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So my point in telling you this story is that I am just an ordinary, small-town, white Christian girl. And God called me to Chicago. He called me to step out of my comfort zone and be really uncomfortable there for several months, having to um, not walk after night or always bugging my roommates to walk with me to the bus stop. I knew that that is what God has called me to do Not because i'm some extraordinary person um, but because I knew that he had something to teach me through it and So that is what I want to challenge you with today through that is What is god calling you to do and if it's uncomfortable, that's okay Um, we have victory death like I Something really bad could have came out of that, (laughs) but i'm alive but I don't have to fear anything, um, because the Lord, I have no fear in death. So with that, this year has been the most transformational year of my life. Um, I've grown, I've been transformed. Um, I have learned hospitality from my neighbors, joy from the children I work, I work with. Um, I have become a better servant because of the people at my church who serve me unconditionally. um, It has been incredible, and I just want to thank all of you. Um, So many of you have stood with me through this journey. You have supported me financially. Um, You have prayed for me. You have supported me, loved me. You have sent me care packages. You have sent me letters. And it is because of my support back home that I was able to go do the work that the Lord has called me to do. And I have found the passion that God has placed in my heart and the calling. Um, And in just less than a week, I will be back there. Um, just living until God calls me somewhere else. Um, So I just ask you to continue to pray for me and um, pray for my neighborhood and that the Lord will just keep moving. So thank you so much for all that you have done for me.
1: Can we pray together, please? Father, I just thank you so much for the day, and I thank you for uh, Ashlyn's testimony. Uh, Father, just uh, let us each one step out of the way and hear you today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. Watched Ian and Bethany's wedding yesterday, as uh, many of you did, and it uh, I thought back at the first wedding that I was in. Um, it was my brother's. I was this shy a gawky 13-year-old walking this gorgeous blonde, uh, eight or nine years older than I was, down the aisle. It was a good day. <laughs> uh, but what, what made the day even better was uh, my new sister-in-law, Becky. Uh, she was just so much fun. Uh, and as a shy, impressionable kid... Uh, I had never realized how much fun girls could be. Uh, at that point in my life, I was still afraid of them. Uh, who am I kidding? I'm still afraid of them. But uh, uh, but I, I just I absolutely adored this woman. Uh, I would go over to their house and and play games several times a week, and uh, we would always gang up on my brother, and and it was just it was just a blast. In the summer times, I would go and spend uh, a week with them, just hanging around and. I just, just, just. She was just uh, one of those people, those infectious people that you just love to be with, you know. And uh, several years later, uh, she became pregnant, uh, first baby uh, and the uh, uh, grandchild for my parents, and of uh, course my first nephew or niece. And it was just an exciting time. Uh, about. Six or seven months into the pregnancy, her back starting hurting a little bit. And the doctors and everybody just said, yeah, it's, that's pretty common. First pregnancy, you're going to have, you know, a little back issue. Uh, and so just um, blew it off. After uh, uh, Jeremiah was born in March, uh, her back continued to hurt a little bit. And so they started doing some testing. And a couple, three weeks after, we got the news, cancer. <clears throat> she went through chemotherapy and radiation all summer to no avail and in August Rebecca Jane Woodring went to be with our Lord and Savior <clears throat> and it devastated us, it devastated my family devastated me I mean why did this happen why would this beautiful child of God have to, have to end her life so soon she's leaving a husband uh, and a family and a child not even six months old. I struggled with that mightily for a while. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? Something happens in your life that you don't expect that just rocks you? It's like getting sucker punched in the stomach. I mean, you don't see it coming. And when it does, it just takes your breath away. Through no fault of your own, of your own, you get dealt a blow that's just, just hard to deal with. And in those moments, in that in those tears, and in that anguish and pain, we get upset, don't we? We get mad, get angry. Why? Really? This is happening to me now? Why? What, what, what have I done to deserve this kind of pain? The doctors, you, you might get mad at people. Uh, you might get mad at the the uh, the... The spouse that cheated or the boyfriend that left. Maybe the doctor that didn't do as much as you think they should have done. Uh, The driver, the car that took that life. Sometimes you blame things. The cancer itself or the disease, the alcohol, the drugs. Maybe it's the company that laid you off. And sometimes if we're completely honest, we blame God. And we might turn that into something and disguise it like a question but if we're completely honest with ourselves and, and life deals us one of those sucker punches uh, we can question the goodness of God can't we we're like really God why, why me why now I'm having trouble understanding why you allow this pain in my life I've been there in today's text, Acts chapter 16 that we're in, we find Paul and Silas getting one of those sucker punches to the gut. Certainly couldn't see it coming. But before we get there, I want to, uh, I want to uh, set the stage a little bit. Paul's beginning his second missionary journey. He is gung-ho. He's ready to preach. He is on fire for Jesus. And he tries to preach several times at the beginning of this journey uh, he, uh, he, he tries to go into several countries, and, and he's stopped every time by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, I would be a little frustrated. I know God has called me to preach, but He's not allowing me to do that. It would have been a little frustrating to me. But God, or Paul just seems to shrug his shoulders, keep right on going. Uh, he completely trusted God's plan. It's good for us to know that. He didn't have to know the plan. Because he knew the one who created that plan. He had a personal relationship with God. And for Paul, that's all that mattered. It's all that should matter to us. God proved his trustworthiness. So Paul kept moving on. One night, he gets, uh, he gets this uh, vision of a man in Macedonia. and says, come, please come help us. And so Paul takes off from Macedonia. And in that journey, he leads him to the city of Philippi, which is where today's story picks up. Acts chapter 16. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So here's the scene. Uh, We have Paul and Silas, Silas being pestered. Uh, by a girl who honestly was simply proclaiming who they were and what they were doing. And at first glance, it doesn't sound so bad, right? I mean, you, you, here's, a, here's a girl who is known to, to have a, a, an evil spirit in her, who is uh, cl- uh, making money telling the future, and she's saying, hey, these guys are servants of the Most High God, and He's telling you the way of salvation. At first glance, that doesn't sound like a bad thing at all. But if she was just announcing their presence, I don't think it would have been a big deal. But since it was becoming annoying, uh, we can presume that she was really being disruptive, being loud and obnoxious, not allowing them to be heard or any of God's word to be uh, spoke. Because we know for certain, Satan would not have wanted that message proclaimed. So Paul put, it, put up with it for several days and finally had enough. And he said, in the name of Jesus, uh, commanded the demon to come out of her. Now here's just a little nugget of wisdom, a little freebie off the side. Uh, Do you notice who Paul addressed here? The demon. Many times when someone is annoying to me, uh, I get upset with the person. Satan's mouthpiece, if you will. Uh, But Paul was smarter than I was, and uh, he knew that his enemy was not the girl, that it was Satan himself. And so he did not tell the girl to shut up. He told the spirit to. It's a good reminder for each one of us. That our quarrels are not with each other, but they're with Satan. We should be united against the one who creates those quarrels, who creates the the division between each one of us. The one that attempts and many times succeeds in getting us to fight each other. Completely missing the fact that that is exactly what Satan wants. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. God's fight, my fight, your fight is with Satan, not each other. Let's remember that. So back to the story. Uh, So this girl was a slave, source of income for her owners. So you can imagine they were not happy uh, when Paul uh, um, cast this this demon out. So uh, they went to the Roman rulers, made these claims that they were disturbing the city and encouraging them to do things that were against the Roman law. So let's keep reading, verses 22 through 24. Says the crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Obviously, we see that the lies the slave owners were telling were having an effect, and so they uh, they had Paul and Silas stripped and beaten with rods. Now, remember, they had done nothing wrong. They had broken no laws. Uh, And and more importantly, they had done nothing against God, nothing against His direction. In fact, the exact opposite. They were doing exactly what God had wanted them to do. And it had gotten them beaten and thrown in prison. And to make it worse, they had their legs fastened in stocks. I mean, the, the jailer's not taking any chances here. Then this inner prison that they were thrown into... Uh, was a place prisoners were typically sent to die, and doing a little research, I found that it was typically kind of underground. Um, there had no ventilation, no light. Uh, it was a vile, disgusting place with a stench of death and human waste, and if you were put in this inner prison, you had little hope, no hope of leaving, very little hope of getting out alive. I mean, it certainly was not a place that you escaped from. And as I said earlier, they were put into this inner prison with stocks on their feet. Thrown into a nasty, stinking hole with, with stocks on their legs after they had been beaten with an inch of their life with rods. I mean, just imagine that for a second, if you will. The day starts out sunny and bright. No worries, everything is right with the world. And because of a situation that's beyond your control, you end the day in a nightmare. The last place you ever wanted or expected to be. Bruised and beaten in a hole of despair and pain. Life has just sucker punched you in the stomach. Have you ever been there? It happens, doesn't it? All the time. And during those times, it can be very difficult to release your grip on the hurt and the pain to see the face of God. Rachel and Gary Lightsey live in Dallas, Texas. They had a happy marriage and were blessed with two beautiful children, four-year-old Tyler and 16-month-old Kylie. They were members of a local church. Gary had a very successful insurance brokerage. In fact, it was so successful that, that Rachel had just recently left her job to be a stay-at-home mom. Things could not have been going better. Rachel's mom and stepdad also lived in the Dallas area uh, as well and often babysat the kids. On August 15, 2001, she asked if the kids could have a sleepover. It would be the first time that both grandchildren children uh, stayed together at Grandma's house, and they were, they were just so excited. Unfortunately, that excitement did not last. The Lighties received a call the next morning to get over to the house as soon as possible. The morning that started off so wonderfully changed in an instant. A fire had engulfed Rachel's mother's house, killing her mother, her stepfather, and both of their children. All she wanted to do was die. For months, her only response to Gary was, I don't care. Her only response, I don't care. No longer a mom, she felt no purpose in life, as if the only reason, the only existence for her living was her children. Gary pleaded with her to start caring again for him, for their family, for their marriage, for life in general, to no avail. He, he then began to question God's goodness, His love and His purpose. He not only had lost his wife's parents and his children, but now he's losing his wife as well. It would be easy to do, wouldn't it, to start questioning? I mean, you can understand this man's plight, can't you? Why, God? Why? You could have prevented the fire If you loved me, you could have gotten them out alive if you loved me. You could have helped my wife move on after the accident if you loved me. You could have done something if you loved me. It can be real easy to go down that path if we allow ourselves. But can I ask a a question here and just maybe make a little observation if we didn't have pain in our lives, if we didn't have heartache, some disappointment, if God protected us from every, every one of life's disasters, would we love him for who he is or for what he does? Would our love be genuine and selfless or would it, in fact, be selfish and conditional, dependent on what God does for us? Protection, and not simply on who he is. It's no different than, than a marriage. If, if my my love for my wife is dependent on what she does for me, it's not really love, is it? And you look at Paul and Silas's response to their beatings and being thrown into prison for simply following God's direction, we see very quickly what kind of love they have for God. Verse 25 reads this way. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Who does this? Seriously. I mean, who reacts this way when faced with this kind of adversity, this kind of pain and suffering? Who responds with this kind of joy? I mean, instead of bemoaning the fact that, you had just, that it, of all the uh, events that had just transpired, they spent their time praying and singing songs of praise. Again, put yourself in their shoes or or their shackles, if you will, in this instance. You've just been stripped and beaten with an inch of your life. You've been thrown into this stinking hole of, of existence with wooden beams on your legs for doing exactly what God wanted you to do and you are praising Him for it? Who does that? And how does that happen? here's how it all starts with paul and silas trusting god's plan it certainly wasn't going like they would have chosen but it didn't matter their faith uh, was in their creator and they knew that he was worthy of their praise regardless of the circumstances that they were in so they continued to pray and praise and because of this because they continued to seek god in that circumstance god was continually renewing their strength They do not act this way in their own strength. It doesn't happen. And this is so important for us to understand. We cannot survive pain and trials of this world in our own strength. It can't happen. Only through the renewing power and strength of God himself. Without that strength, we do become discouraged and distraught, bitter and angry. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah forty thirty one. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise Him. This is how Paul and Silas does uh, do what they do. That same strength and that same power that enabled them to do it is available to you and I. God is faithful to His Word, people. He is trustworthy. Time after time He confirms He will always be there for us. Strengthen us, encouraging us, using us for His glory, for His purpose. The catch is... That we have to reach out and allow Him to do it. To trust Him and believe that He will. And so many times we try to handle these adversities in our own strength. I mean, look into that prison. Look into the, the depths of that prison. What do you see? What, what do you hear? Your hope. Songs of praise. Unbridled joy. You see, it doesn't take a lot of faith for thing, uh, when things are going well. When life is good. Uh, when there are no storms in life, it's not hard to say, yeah, I I got faith, I believe. It's when life happens. It's when struggles and pain hit that true faith become evident. And it's in those moments we choose, we choose whom we will trust. Is God still faithful and trustworthy in pain, giving us hope? Or is He just a God of good times when things are going my way? Paul had witnessed the goodness of God. His mercy and grace, and opening his, opening his eyes literally to the reality of what it means to have a real relationship with his Creator. A relationship that, that went far beyond the religion and the do's and don'ts that he experienced as a Pharisee. You see, back, when, back then, when, when, uh, when uh, Paul was Saul, his, his relationship was superficial. It was based on the law, following rules and requirements. But then his eyes were opened to what a real relationship, a genuine, honest relationship uh, based on uh, that, that wasn't based on rules looks like. Not founded on this or that, or what God did or didn't do, but rather on Christ's blood, His grace, mercy, and this incredible, unfailing love. So I've got to ask you, what is the foundation of your relationship with Jesus built on? Do you do things because you're supposed to? Because it's the right thing, the socially accepted thing, the expected thing, the obligatory thing? Maybe you do things to get something in return for financial gain or for protection. Or do you do them because you have this deep abiding love in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that would never, could never change based upon circumstances that happen in your life? Why are you here today? Are you here because you think you're supposed to be? Or are you here because you cannot imagine life without Jesus? Through every adversity thrown at Paul, he handled it all the same way. God, I believe in you. I trust in you. My love for you is not predicated on my circumstances. See, Paul never swayed based on life's troubles. If anything, it made him stronger. And now we get to this, to see the exciting part of this story, how God uses His faith and trust. Let's continue to read Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 25 again. It says, About midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. First of all, have you ever heard of an earthquake that doesn't create destruction? I mean, they were all in this hole, and a normal earthquake would have buried them alive. But this was no ordinary earthquake, was it? It was God shaking loose the earthly bonds, releasing the chains of Satan and setting the captives free. And here's another question that I've always wondered. Have you ever wondered why Paul and Silas didn't leave? Think about it. God opened all the doors. He caused the stocks to come off their feet, enabled them to just walk right out the door, exactly what the, the jailer thought they would. I mean, I would have thought it would have been the answer to my prayer. And I would have hightailed it out of there. But, you see, that's the difference between my prayer and Paul's. You see, Paul wasn't looking for escape. He wasn't looking for release. He was looking for opportunities. He wasn't thinking about leaving. His thoughts were on the lost. See, it all comes back to trusting in God, remembering why I am here, why I exist. What Satan thought would derail Paul's ministry, God used through that adversity to win souls. They were not given a heads up of what was going to take place. They simply trusted God, trusted that he had a plan, and then looking for those opportunities. They were willing instruments, faithful and trusting. Satan did his level best to stop them. But God, as He always will, when we trust Him, used it for good. Romans 8, 28. We all know that well. We, all, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I mean, that's the way Christian uh, life works sometimes, isn't it? We don't always know how beautifully God is working in our lives until that plan is zoomed in on and we see it for what it is. And when we spend our days waiting, often anxiously... Sometimes losing our way, losing our direction, waiting for God to reveal what's going on in our lives. During this time, our job, our responsibility is to trust that God is, in fact, working in the midst of our circumstances, even when we can't see them. And I would say especially when we can't see them, to bring about His goodwill for us. When we are in the midst of the circumstances, we cannot see the outcome. We can't see the plan. But we've got to be okay with that. That is where true faith and trust comes in. And the more we practice trusting Him, the more we can see God using our circumstances for His glory. We left Gary and Rachel Lightsey in a real struggle for for survival. Gary is blaming God for taking his family in a tragic fire and now taking his wife Rachel, who had just basically given up. Here's the rest of that story. About a year after the accident, two of Rachel's nephews came to live with them. Their parents were going through a nasty divorce, and they needed a place to stay. Rachel started coming out of it, having a renewed sense of purpose with the kids around. But Gary was still very resentful for all that had happened. And he had begun drinking heavily to escape. They still went to church, but it was all a facade. This went on for four more long years. By this time, their marriage was on life support. Neither Gary or Rachel uh, had really been able to put the accident completely behind them. That year, in 2006, a marriage retreat came to their area, and Rachel called or talked to Gary uh, into attending the, the retreat. To say it was transforming is an understatement. They realized something that is very basic, but it is the foundation of everything in life. Hear this. If you hear nothing else today, the most important thing for them was to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here is an excerpt of their testimony. I knew how to be formal and pray and go to church, Rachel says, but I didn't know what it meant to have a real relationship with him. Gary says that until the marriage retreat, his relationship with Christ had been superficial. For most of his life, he had known of Jesus Christ, but at the getaway, he asked him to actually guide his life and marriage. And when he decided to wholeheartedly rely on God for all that had happened in his life, he no longer felt the need to use alcohol as an escape. With Jesus now at the center of her life, Rachel understood that she should identify herself first as a woman of God instead of a mother. It's almost like we found the secret to a happy marriage, she says. And we can't describe it any other way than by a personal relationship with God. Gary and Rachel stopped bringing up repeated failures. They put aside anger and hurt. They began to process the, the, the uh, placing the tragic fire into God's hands once and for all. And by doing this, they discovered a, a peace that was beyond their understanding. They knew in their hearts that God had provided a safe haven for Tyler and Kylie. And they completely trusted that in eternity they would see their children again. The fire was out of our control, Rachel says. Over the years, Rachel and Gary have seen God transform their shattered lives and watched Him use their pl- their pain to help others. They've led uh, several marriage groups, facilitated a grief recovery group, and a grief-sharing ministry. Today, the Lightsee's marriage is strong, and they are at peace. It really was about acceptance, Rachel says. We just had to trust God. Whether people ask the Leitzes how to survive a tragedy or succeed in dying marriage, their answer is the same. If you believe that there is a God, then you have to believe that He will get you through it. Romans 8.28 became real to them. Just as it did for Paul and Silas. For those who trust in His divine purpose for our lives, He will use all circumstances for good. Sometimes it's easy to look at the winds and the waves instead of Jesus' outstretched hand. To look at the pain instead of the plan. But God is worthy of of our trust, worthy of our devotion, worthy of a relationship beyond the ordinary. Because of what Paul and Silas went through, they had a unique opportunity to witness by their actions to this jailer. He was ready to do the honorable thing, take his life, only to realize no one had left. And when faced with this extraordinary behavior, he asked the only reasonable question. The most important question you and I will ever ask, what must I do to be saved? I mean, he's wanting to know what is necessary for him to live what, what, like what he just witnessed. What do I need, What do I need in my life to transform it to what I just saw? Because that's what I want. The answer is both simple and complex at the same time. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the simple part. But as you read what belief entails, you learn that trust and obedience is all intertwined. We don't just simply believe that Jesus is real. That uh, what Jesus wants is a real relationship that goes beyond mere belief of His existence to an abiding love that is not based on circumstances. A relationship not predicated on what we can get from Him, but based solely upon what He's already done on the cross. Simply put, He desires a love from us like He has for us. Unspoiled, unselfish, uninhibited, pure my relationship with Jesus is a work in progress, but my desire is for it to be the same unselfish and pure love that He has for me. How about yours? What, what, what is your relationship built on? Fear, greed, selfishness? Do, do you trust Him in all circumstances, in all things? Do you trust Him with your finances, with your children, with your job? Do you continue to trust Him in the midst of the storm? when life sucker punches you in the the gut? Have you made the ultimate decision to follow Him with your life? God is in the business of transforming lives and marriages and finances. He just wants you to trust Him to do it. If you haven't made the decision to trust Him with your life, I invite you to come this morning. Or if you need prayer to help uh, more fully trust Him in everyday life, and we're going to have people up here in a moment to, to pray with you. Jesus came so that you could have life and have it to the full. What are you missing out on? What are you holding on to that is keeping you from experiencing the joy and the hope that we see in Paul and Silas? Are there friends and family that are watching and seeing us worry and fret, moan and complain because we've not given them an, a, a, a very good picture of what Jesus' transforming power can do? Once upon a time, there was a daughter who was complaining to his father, her father. That her life was miserable. She didn't know how she was going to make it. She was tired of fighting, struggling all the time. It seemed as one problem as one problem was solved, another one would develop. Her father, being a chef, took her to the kitchen, filled three pots with water, and placed each one on the stove on high. In the first pot, he placed potatoes. In the second pot, he placed eggs. In the third pot, he placed some ground-up coffee beans. And he let them sit there and boil for about 20 minutes. His daughter, as you can imagine, uh, moaned and complained, impatiently waiting, wondering what he was doing. After 20 minutes, he turned the, bo- uh, the, the burners off, and he took the potatoes out of the pot and placed them in a bowl, took the eggs out of a pot and placed them in a bowl. Then he took a ladle of the coffee and placed it in a cup. And he says, daughter, what do you see? Father says, eggs, potatoes, and coffee. And he says, take a little closer. Take a little closer look. He then explained that the potatoes, the eggs, and the coffee were all faced with the same adversity, the same pain. In this case, boiling water. How, however, each one reacted quite differently. The potato went in strong and hard, unrelenting. But in the boiling water, it became soft and weak. The egg was fragile with a thin outer layer protecting its liquid interior, but in the boiling water the inside of the egg became hard. However, the ground coffee beans were unique. After they were exposed to the boiling water, they changed the water, creating something new and wonderful. So which one are you? When faced with pain and adversity, what how do you respond? Do you become weak? Do you become hardened? Or do you use the adversity to create something wonderful? See, we live in a fallen world. Pain is a fact of life. Things happen around us, things happen to us. But what truly matters is what happens within us. How we face adversity, and how God can and will use us to change the world. Through us, people are watching that need Jesus. Let them see Him through us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible, unwavering, undying, unrelenting love for us, for your grace and your mercy that knows no boundaries. We do not deserve you. Help us, Father to live a life like you have called us to, as your hands and your feet in this dying world. Help us to be a light. Help us to pray not to be delivered from pain, but to use that pain for the lost. Change us, Father, in any way and every way possible to allow us to be the kind of people that you want us to be, that you need us to be on this earth. We love you so much. Everything we do, we do for you. And because of you and through your strength and power. And we pray this in your son's name that we'll make this possible. Amen.